All right, good evening, and thank you, Pastor. I'm always gracious and humbled by the opportunity to get up here and, and talk about God's Word. You open your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Luke this evening, in Luke chapter 5. And uh, just as a little preamble, as we get started here, you know, a lot of the Gospels, a lot of the Bible is not in chronological order, but the book of Luke is one that most people assume it's kind of pretty close to being in the most chronological in the Bible, that in the book of John. So just tell you where we are. We are in chapter 5. This is near the beginning of Jesus' ministry. At the beginning of this life, you know, he had healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He'd rebuked a devil out of the man in the synagogue. He healed a man of the palsy that Paul spoke about this morning, right, that had lowered him through the roof. Plus, he'd done many other healings and casted out devils, devils that aren't specifically recorded, but he'd just done them. He'd also preached to the people of Nazareth and been rejected by them. And he had gone to the Sea of Galilee and called Simon, Andrew, James, and, and John to be his disciples. His fame was now starting to spread. You know, he was, his name was starting to get known. People still didn't really know what to think of him, though. The common people knew that he was a great prophet, he was a man of God, and he was working all these miracles. You know, some were saying he was the son of God, probably right away as they got to know him. But others were unsure. But he sure, uh, he sure had got the Pharisees and the religious people riled up by this time. They were already getting angry with him. But I believe it was here in chapter 5, and what we're going to read, that Jesus, he begins to reveal the true purpose of his ministry, the true reason why he came, and the reason he came to the earth is that he had come because he was going to change everything. He was going to make everything new. So here in Luke chapter 5, we're going to start reading in verse 27 and read through the end of the chapter. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. And he said unto them, Can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they shall fast in those days. And he spake also unto a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new market rent maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles. Else the new wine will burst, and the bottle shall be spilled, and the bottle shall perish. But the new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk of old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith, the old is better. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage in, in your Bible here in the book of Luke. I just pray that you guide me as I preach from it, and help me to say the words that are going to be true and edifying, and open up the hearts of those listening so they may take something positive away that they can apply to your life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. So before we start talking about these passages, you know, I say, God comes and he changes all things, right? And we're going to talk about how God changed. But I want to be clear, this is, this is not a change to God. This is not something that is new to God. It's not like God, 
just all of a sudden realize, hey, hey, you know, I gave them the Old Testament. This isn't working. Hold on. Let me, let me try something new. No, it's called the Old Testament in the New Testament in a new way because it was new to us, not because it was new to God. It was God's plan all along. 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us, For so much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world, was manifest in these last times for you. God knew what he was doing. He knew from the beginning that Jesus Christ was coming one day to be the Savior for our sins. He didn't change his mind halfway through the Old Testament and say, all right, let's move on. Let's move on to plan B. I guess plan A isn't working. No, this was plan A all along. So when I say Jesus changed everything, what I mean is Jesus changed everything in us, right? The way we understand salvation, the way we understand what it takes to become righteous, that the way we should behave towards other people in our lives and fulfill the laws of God. Jesus came to change our hearts and our minds. As it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he had purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. This is what Jesus is beginning to explain here. He's beginning to give us the wisdom and the knowledge, the will of God, God's plan from the beginning of time. He is starting to explain how we are going to fulfill God the Father's will through the Son, Jesus Christ. So the first thing I noticed reading this passage here, the first thing that jumped out to me, is kind of the calling that was made. Look again at verse 27 in our scripture. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of the custom and he said unto him, follow me. There are two things I think we can learn about this calling. You know, first, what is the call? What is Jesus calling him to do? It's a simple calling. It's just two little words. Follow me. How simple does that sound? But how powerful and how hard can it be to do at times? But more important, what I think, what, it, what I notice is, what did Jesus not say to this publican sitting right there? You know, what did he not tell him? He didn't say, go and follow the law of what Moses gave. Go and do that. He didn't say, go to the temple, go to the synagogue, offer a sacrifice, or give your tithes. He didn't say, listen to my words, and then try to be the best person that you can out there in the world. Right? That would make one a spectator, in my opinion, a fan. And we have too many people in this world that call themselves Christians that don't want to get and give themselves fully to Jesus and follow him. But they'd rather just listen to the words and say, hey, this Jesus sounds like a pretty cool, neat guy. And then stand off to the side and not really get in there and follow Jesus. Followers do what the master does. Did you ever play follow the leader as a kid? Right? You just don't stand off to the side and watch your buddy go running around, swinging on the monkey bars and go down the slides. No. You get right behind them. You walk in their footsteps. You try to do exactly what they do. No matter how hard it is, you try to mimic them. You try to follow them. Be just like them. This is what Jesus was calling Levi to do here. He said, follow me. Get behind me. Do as I do, Levi. Learn from me. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go out there in the world with you, Levi, and I'm going to walk the same path that you're going to walk, and I'm going to show you how it's done. 
You know, I think back to when I was a kid in central Illinois growing up, and about this time of year, maybe late in January, it was inevitable that at some point we're going to have six inches to a foot of snow on the ground. So hopefully no one in here is praying for that. That's why I moved south. Nobody's in here praying for snow to come, is there? Good, good, because I don't want to see it. That's why I came down here. But, well, if that snow was particularly deep, say we had a foot of snow on the ground, or it was a particularly wet snow, it got difficult to walk through with little legs as a kid just being about this tall, right? And maybe some of y'all may not know the snow, but you can think about it maybe after a good rain and you went to the fishing hole with your parents, and it was all muddy. And when you went to step, you know, your legs would just get caught in that mud. Well, if your dad happened to be with you, you know what I would do? I would get right behind him, and he'd be out in front of me, and he'd step and step, and my little feet, I'd hit right in those footprints, right where he was going. I was following my dad. He was making my path easier for me as I was walking along that, right? That's what Jesus is saying here, basically. He's telling Levi, follow me, step in my footprints, go where I go, do what I do, and I will show you the path. And that calling was not just for Levi, right? It is for us today also. That's what, Jesus is, that's what Jesus wants from us. That is where our righteousness and our salvation comes, is by being believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 12, 26, If any man serve him, let him follow me. Right? And where I am, there also shall my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So we can see what the calling has changed from, right? The calling is not, is not no longer to follow the law of Moses, to do what that law says, to be in step with it. No, Jesus is telling people, follow me. I want you to be like me. But the second thing we can learn about this calling is not just exactly what Jesus is calling Levi to do. We can see who is called. It was Levi, a tax collector. Not just any tax collector, a Jewish-born person collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. Yeah, it had to be horrible. Does anybody in here have a friend that works for the IRS? You know, wouldn't be a friend, really. But, you know, at least in the very least, it wouldn't be that bad because in theory, right, they're collecting taxes from us. It's supposed to be used for our, our roads, pay our police, for our protection, right? But just imagine, God forbid, we had a world war and China took over the country. And one of your fellow neighbors, one that was born in America, went out and came around to your house and started collecting money from you to give to the Chinese government, to the people that were oppressing you, right? That's what Levi was. That's the kind of person he was. He was despised. And not only was he collecting money from the enemy, he was also ripping people off for personal gain, right? The tax collectors of that day, they were told by the Roman Empire, you got to get this much money. If you want paid, we're not going to pay you. Anything else you get above that? You know, that's for you. That's what you can keep. That's how they made their money. These tax collectors, they were the lowest of the low in society, in the eyes of the Jewish people. They were worse than thieves, worse than murderers. They're not allowed in the, in the synagogues. They weren't around their family. They were shunned from society. And here was Jesus, this great prophet, this man of God, looking at Levi and saying, follow me. How could this be? How could it have been the tax collector that possibly in this area, you know, he could have been the one collecting taxes off of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who had just been called to follow Jesus. And now the guy that had been ripping them off, he's bringing them into the fold. Imagine how somebody like maybe Simon the Zealot felt 
about having to be in the same kind of ministry as a tax collector. You know, the zealots, they, they hated Rome. It was their mission to kill the Roman soldiers, the Roman people, and anybody allied with Rome. But that's what Jesus did. He called Levi, and appropriately, I think later his name was changed to Matthew. He wrote the Gospel of Matthew. You know what the name Matthew means? It means it is the gift of God. And his calling truly was a gift of God. Because of all the people in the area, there were so many more, quote-unquote, deserving people that Jesus could have called to be in his ministry, to be his disciple. But Jesus was changing things. Jesus was telling the despised. He was telling the lowly sinner to follow me. And that's what Matthew did immediately in verse 28. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. There was no hesitation there. Right? There was no turning back for Levi at this point. He couldn't go back to collecting taxes. He just walked away from that. Right? He wasn't going to have any friends there anymore. Well, if things went bad, he couldn't turn to his family. He couldn't turn to the Jewish citizens. They weren't going to accept him in the house. He was going to have to follow Jesus, and he was going to have to give 100% to Jesus Christ. And Jesus quickly, he made it known that, you know, this just wasn't a one-time thing. That it was not just with Matthew. He was going to make a permanent change in how we were going to be called unto righteousness before God. It will no longer be by what we have done, what family we were born into, what laws we are filed, what we have followed. You know, righteousness of the Lord it comes from the belief and the following of Jesus Christ the Son. You know, Jesus changes that more than the Pharisee and the leaders and those that claim to be pure followers of the law could accept the calling. It wasn't just a Matthew that would accept this calling. Because so we can see this in the second point in these verse. Look at the crowd that came to Jesus immediately after this. In verse 29, And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? So what did, what did Levi do here? Once he found out about Jesus, he did what we all should do. He went and told all his friends about Jesus. He's like, look at this great man I met, but who were his friends? Right? His friends were the publicans and the sinners. So he invited them all to the feast. You know, isn't that how we should be or how most of us were when we got called to Jesus, right? I know I was. As soon as I got saved, that was one of the first things I wanted to do. I wanted to tell everybody. Everybody that I used to run around and cause trouble with, the people I used to hang out and close down the bars with, I wanted to say, hey, come. Come see what has happened to me. Come meet the Jesus that I have met, right? And praise God that that's what he wants us to do, right? Thank God he does not tell us no. He didn't tell Levi no. Jesus didn't say, thanks, Levi, but I only wanted you. I had picked you out, none of these other ones. No, not those sinners, just you, Levi. I only wanted you. No, That's, Jesus didn't say, I will only come to dinner with you and your guest if, if they go and make the proper sacrifices before I get there, if they go and get themselves clean. No, Jesus was happy to sit and eat with them, to sit with the publicans, to sit with the sinners. He was happy to share his message of salvation with them. Oh, but this sure didn't sit well with the scribes and the, and the Pharisees, though, did it? Not at all. They were angered. They were confused, murmuring each other and asking Jesus, how can you eat with these types of people? Well, what did Jesus, Jesus gives us the answer. We know why Jesus ate with them. Look here in, in verses 31 and 32. And Jesus answering and said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. 
I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Right? And I, I find it interesting here, and I love it, that, that Jesus calls sin a sickness. Right? Because it is a sickness. It's a sickness we all have. It's an inherited disease. Something we're all born with that is going to eventually lead us to death. As Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right? We were all sick. We all have that sickness in us. But this sickness is, is like other sicknesses. It does lead to death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. We are going to die because of this sickness. But unlike cancer, AIDS, Alzheimer's, and the numerous other sicknesses that we can get, sin leads more than just our physical death. It's to an everlasting spiritual death. And this is why we need our great physician. It's why we need Jesus Christ. As he said, he came to heal this sickness. We need a doctor to remove this sickness and to remove it permanently. We need what I kind of call here the Matthew treatment. You remember what Matthew meant? The gift of God. We need the gift of God treatment to get rid of this sickness. Because in Romans 6.23, it does tell us the wages of sin is death. But to finish that verse, it is the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, this healing is freely offered. Freely offered to anyone who has this sickness. And we've already demonstrated that we were all sick with sin. So whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. That is the changing message that Jesus Christ is bringing into the world at this time. It is the message we are called to spread. And we've got we to get better at it, people, because there's a lot of dying people out there. This sickness of sin is getting more and more people into hell every day, and they need that doctor, you know. You turn on the TV, you look at events around, even stuff that goes on at my school, you know. There's fundraisers, there's telethons, there's events. And they're raising money for cancer research. You know, the Jimmy V Foundation, if you watch basketball, that was all that was on, you know. They have the St. Jude Children's Hospital at Christmas time. That commercial's all over the airwaves. And praise God for those places, you know. They are doing a great work. But we need more. Where's the commercials? Where's the telethons that are bringing society to Christ? To heal the sickness that not only kills the body, but kills the soul. That sends us to a life in hell. That is the one disease that most people need the healing of, and the one disease they're not hearing enough about. But that was Jesus was coming for, to proclaim that. Right? So we've seen how the calling of Jesus, it changes the way we see righteousness, the way we see salvation. We have learned through the crowd that was with him that this, that this, new, this new calling is being made available to anyone and everyone that is willing to accept it. But next I want you to notice what happens next. We have a celebration here. And this celebration, it's, it's going to change the way we worship. If you look at verses 33 through 35, And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink? And he said unto them, can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they shall then they shall they fast in those days. You now, if you look at a parallel account of this, this story is also told in Matthew. We in verse fourteen we discover that it's actually the disciples of John that are asking Jesus this question. You know, it's not really the Pharisees here, and and Jesus didn't rebuke them. He didn't tell them. You know, fasting is bad. My people aren't fasting because that's the wrong thing to do. But he told them there was a time and a place for that. And right now wasn't the time and the place. And I, I really enjoy the illustration he used of a wedding. 
Because a wedding is a celebration, right? A time of great joy. You know, John, your sister got married. It was a joyful celebration there, wasn't it, last night? Imagine if after the wedding, though, that Brandon just stood up and said, all right, thank you all for coming, but we're fasting tonight. No food. Everybody just have a good time, enjoy the celebration, but we're not going to eat tonight because we're having a fast during this celebration. That wouldn't have went over very well, would it? You know, it seems a little bit crazy. There's a time to eat and drink and be merry and to celebrate, and a wedding is a perfect example of that. You know what else is a perfect example of that? When it's time to eat, drink, be merry, and celebrate? When we have Jesus in our lives. When we are close to God. When he's prominent in our lives. Just as he was in the disciples' lives at this time. He was right there with them. It should be a time of joy. A time of peace. A time of gladness. Not a time of fasting. You see, for some reason, these Pharisees at this point in time, they've gotten it into their mind that in order to be holy, in order to be spiritual... For some reason, you got to be miserable. <laughs> you know, one had to suffer to prove he was right with God. At this point in time, in the land, they were fasting twice a week just to prove their own suffering, to prove how great they are. They weren't fasting for the proper reason. They were doing it to be seen of man, to show how holy and how great they were. And remember, Jesus didn't say not to fast. He said, my, my disciples, they'll fast when the time is right, right? And then later in the book of Matthew, he even calls out the Pharisees for the way they were fasting, right? And he explains a little bit more. He says, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, and they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto man to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. There is an appropriate time to fast. The time to fast is when we're struggling in life, when we need to feel like we need to get closer to God, when we feel distant from him, when we've got a big decision to make, and we need God's guidance, and we want him to be close to us. We're not to fast to fulfill some religious purpose, you know, right? Not to fulfill some requirements or show some other people, look how great I am, look how holy I am, I fast twice a week. I'm much more religious than you. I'm closer to heaven than you are because I do this and I do that. That's what the Pharisees were causing people to do, and that's what they were doing themselves. You know, and we can apply this principle to other parts of our worship as well, right? Because we can say praying. Praying is a good thing. God wants us to pray to him. But he doesn't want us to set specific times and hours where we have to go every day at this time, get on our knees and just mumble some vain words that mean nothing. He wants prayers to come from our hearts. Right? God wants us to give, but he doesn't want us to give out of obedience or just, just be angry and grumpy and give because that is the right thing to do. That's what the Bible tells us to do. No, God wants a joyful giver. God wants us to sing his praises. Right? But he doesn't want you to come here to church and just put your head down and just mumble through the words. No. He wants you to make a joyful noise. Right? God wants us to be loving and merciful as he is rather than to provide sacrifices, right? This is what Jesus came to show us. This is what Jesus came to change, a new way to worship him. And after he brought everything new out to those listening, you know, he told them about a new way of righteousness. I'm going to change the way of righteousness. I'm going to change the way of salvation. I'm going to change the way people are called. I'm going to change the way you worship to God. 
And the last thing I think he did here, he spoke a couple parables to the people, right? And he was giving them a challenge. He was challenging them. And look at verse 36. He says, And he spake also a parable unto them, No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh the rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. You know, I'm still old enough to remember when parents patched clothing. I don't know if they do that anymore or not, because, you know, right now it's hip to buy the jeans with the holes in them already. So there's definitely no patches being put on them. But, you know, when you had to patch clothing because you scraped up your knee or you scraped up your elbow, yeah, that wouldn't last very long. You know, because as soon as it got ran through the washing machine and got washed, something's going to shrink. It's going to fall apart. That stitching is going to come apart. That's what Jesus is telling them here. You know, we have some new stuff. We have some old stuff. When you try to mix it, eventually it's going to fall apart. Look at verse 37. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst, and the bottles will be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. Well, back when they made wine, right, when you crushed the grapes, it naturally went through a fermenting process, where those complex sugars, would they'd have to break down into something simpler. And when that happens, you know, the wine starts to give off heat. It starts to bubble a little bit. It gets a little, it expands. And if you had an old wineskin, something that's made out of animal skin has been used before, that wineskin was stiff, right? So you put new wine in there, and it's bubbling up, and it's fermenting, and it's expanding. Man, it's going to blow that wineskin out before too long. You know, in both of these parables, Jesus is explaining you can't mix the newness, the changes that he was bringing in, and what he had just proclaimed in with the old way of life that the Pharisees were bringing. It just wasn't going to work. Yeah, they may seem to go together for a time. It might seem to work out that you can, you can put your trust in Jesus and you can trust in your own works and it might seem right in your eyes for a little bit, but it's all going to fall apart soon. Eventually, that hole is going to come back into that garment and you're going to realize, I just wasted some good material, right? Yeah, the wine may hold in the wineskins for a while, but before long, it's going to bust open. Now you have no wine and you have no wineskin and you're worse off than you really started. So I believe Jesus is challenging here. He says, hey, if you really want the change that I'm bringing you, you have to challenge. I'm telling you, come to me 100%, right? Give your whole self to me. When I say follow me, I don't mean just a little bit. Get 100% behind me. Come to the new way, not the old way. We cannot mix them together. And that's a real tough challenge because people, they don't want to give up their old habits. And that's how he finishes here in verse 39. He says, no man, Jesus says, no man also having drunk with old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better. You know, in our common vernacular, what I like to think here when I hear this is you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? But I tell you, you definitely can, because my dog, anybody met Carl? He's like 12 years old now. And the other day I asked him what two minus two was, and he said nothing. Smartest dog in the world, and I taught him a new trick, Right? No, but through these parables, Jesus is challenging the people here, right? He's saying, I am bringing you a new, a new way of life. I am changing everything you thought about religion. I'm changing everything about the way that you come to me, that you come to God, and that you worship. And he's challenging them. He's saying, give me your lives 100% and accept these challenges. So how do you apply that to your lives today, Right? Was well, the same thing. Jesus is calling each and every one of us, everyone in this room, everyone 
that is watching us online or anyone that may hear this on a recording later. You know, he doesn't care what you have done. He doesn't care how bad you think you are. He doesn't care how unlovable the world may think you are. He has a calling for you. And that calling was the same calling that he had for Matthew or Levi. And that calling is, follow me. Do not be a fan. There are way too many Jesus fans in this world and not enough followers. People in this world are saying, you know, I like that Jesus guy. I like what he says. I like what he offers. But do I want to live like him? No. I just want to do my own thing. People say I'm okay being called a Christian, but I don't want to devote my life to that. That is not the will of Jesus. He says, follow me. Get behind him 100%. And Jesus says, I want you to worship me. I want you to pray. I want you to sing. And I want you to fast. But I want you to do it in the new way that I'm going to teach you. I don't want you to do it because you feel obligated, because the law is telling you you have to do it. I want you to do it out of a love for me. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That is why we do what we do for God. It's because of our love for Jesus. Jesus has changed the calling of salvation. He's changed the way we find righteousness. He's changed the people that would be called and how the people will be worshipped with him. As my title says, Jesus changes everything. Accept him as your savior today and begin to follow him. And I promise you, he's going to change more than that. He's going to change everything in your life also. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the scripture and the calling of Levi and the parables you gave here, Lord, and, and the lesson that you taught us that we're just so thankful, Lord, that you came into the world to give us a new way to worship God, a new way to salvation, which is through believing and accepting that what you did on the cross was all that we need to do, God, to get us to heaven. We are so thankful that you did that for us because there's no way we'd ever get there by ourselves. I pray if there's anyone in this room or watching online that has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, that you touch them, God, and that you reach out and have them make a decision for you today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.